0: introduce you to my uh, three friends here. To my immediate right is uh, Barry Axelrod, who I've known forever. Barry, uh, a longtime baseball agent, but now he works for the Arizona Diamondbacks, special assistant to uh, Kevin Towers, the general manager. During uh, Barry's career, he represented some of the biggest stars in baseball, including Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell, one Hall of Famer, one future Hall of Famer with the Astros. In 2000, he was named to the founding board of directors of the United States Anti-Doping Agency and served as the uh, treasurer there for 11 years. So, welcome uh, Barry Axelrod. To uh, Barry's right is uh, Jane Levy, who has authored several New York Times bestsellers, Mickey Mantle, The Last Boy, Mickey Mantle, the End of America's Childhood, and Sandy Koufax, A Lefty's Legacy. Both were on the bestsellers list in the New York Times, now she's working the third best one, with working a biography of Babe Ruth. So, Jane was only a staff writer of the Washington Post from 1979 to 1998, where she covered a little bit of everything, baseball, tennis, and the Olympics. So, welcome, Jane. <laughs> Then on the end is uh, David Smith. He's the founder and president of RetroSheet, which every sports writer in America will be forever indebted. <laughs> we love this site, nonprofit organization that collects, computerizes, and distributes play-by-play for all the baseball games. A fabulous website, and uh, called RetroSheet.com. But yeah, you can go through complete details of 130,000 games, and they're added all the time. So after 40 years as University of Delaware biology professor, Dave retired in 2013, and here he is. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> so yeah, as you know, the uh, the topics you know, d- drugs with baseball, and, and the fascinating thing about it is, you know, I guess the question is why, why do we care? I mean, we talk about football and basketball, particularly football. If someone gets popped for PEDs or steroids, it's buried in the sports section, we don't care. It happens in baseball. It's the front page of every newspaper, you know, all over ESPN. And uh, so why do you think it is buried? I mean, why do you think people care so much about drugs in baseball?
1: Well, I think of all the, the sports, baseball is the most uh, statistic centric of all. Uh, people love to get up and look at their box scores every morning and see who did what and compare it era to era or player to player or year to year. And uh, there's no question that, that the use of performance enhancers in baseball skewed the record books for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think most people feel like, uh, unless it's maybe Mike Trout, uh, the chances of the home run record ever being approached or broken are, are virtually zero now. Assuming the sport is clean
0: When well, Jane you covered all the sports, I mean, we all remember Ben Johnson having everything stripped away I mean is baseball almost held to like Olympic standards?
2: Well, I think that uh, you know the Olympics come and go um, Well, it used to be every four years now every two years on the new cycle um, And nobody cares about the Olympics in those intervening years anyway baseball is a presence, you know for 162 games and now with you know trading and training and da 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 da, da. It's, it's basically, it's a 365-day-a-year news cycle. So, it's in your face all the time, uh, whereas the Olympic athletes, you know, ha- I mean, does anybody remember any of the names of the winter Olympic athletes now, that Lindsey Vonn disappeared? <laughs> Lindsey <laughs> Vonn. You know, Lindsey Vonn and forget it. Um, so, you know, baseball is just much more a presence. The thing that I was saying to Dave the other, the other day was that, I think baseball's um, gotta be counting its lucky stars for the NFL and for the CTE brain um, you know, damage disaster, because at this point, it makes what's going on with PEDs in baseball look like, uh, as they say in my family, you know, bupkis, it's nothing. I mean, uh, you, you know, in baseball, you had guys taking things that might hurt themselves while improving their statistics, allegedly. Um, You know, and so what if their testicles were attracted? They didn't care, you know? They got acne on their backs, they didn't care. They believed that the ball would go further and that's all they needed to know. In football, you've got a game that's inflicting damage on their, not just their livelihoods, but their their lives and life expectancy. So um, I'm sure this uh, is not something anybody at MLB is going around going, yay! But you know, in fact, from a public relations standpoint, baseball's prospering.
0: Yeah, it's almost like we're, we're so big in statistics, and we all know 755 home runs with Aaron and stuff, but you know, we don't know, you know what's the number of most points score in the NBA or, or who's got the career you know, touchdowns. There are people who know those things, Bob. <laughs> <probably. laughs> does it mess you up, David? Is it frustrating when you see, OK, how do I quantify these stats? Because one was the arrow, no drugs, some a little bit drugs. <clears throat> well, it turns out that I'm not nearly as
3: bothered about it as a lot of other people are. Um, I gotta be very careful how I answer this. So I don't want to be misunderstood. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I definitely um, understand that people have been confessing to taking the drugs and accepting their suspensions. Uh, there are some people that have tested positive. That's obviously true. What is less clear—I'll say it very carefully—what is less clear is what the effect of those drugs was. Is it true that taking steroids made people hit a baseball further? I think the evidence is not clear. It is certainly not clear from the statistical record of home runs per game or runs per game. I'm not saying it's not true. What I'm saying is I don't think it's been adequately tested. Now, I was a professional scientist for 40 years, and my view of the world is very much shaped by that. There's all sorts of crazy ideas and hypotheses that come out, and then they get tested. Then they get examined, and if there's evidence to support it, then people go with it. And if there isn't, then... The, then the story goes away. That hasn't happened with the steroid stuff. I am absolutely willing to believe that taking steroids will make somebody hit a baseball further. I see, have seen no evidence that shows that that's true. The statistical record looking at the yearly output of people does not support it. What is clear is that steroids gives people big muscles, it adds strength, there's no question of that. What's not clear is that adding raw strength makes you hit a baseball farther. Uh, this is a very different kind of, kind of skill. Uh, it is possible. I, I would love to see it tested. And I'm very disappointed in Major League Baseball that they have not chosen this as an option. They've got enough money. They've got enough prestige. They could certainly um, fund studies and encourage people to actually look into this. I would be the first one to prowl through all the data I can find to try to show it, but I, I've looked, and I just don't see it.
0: I mean, I mean the one thing is that steroids, HGH, does give you a ton of confidence, right, well, Oh
1: Well, I think, I mean, I... Uh, Three years ago, four years ago, while I was with USADA, we did a seminar for uh, all the ESPN people, from producers, directors, to on-air personalities, in spring training, preparing them for broadcasts, and to give them the facts about what happens. And I think uh, the the room was was palpably uh, amazed at uh, the things they heard about steroids. They don't just give you big muscles. HGH doesn't just give you big muscles. It, I, I remember Tony Larusa always defending Mark McGuire, and I admire Tony Larusa greatly. But uh, defending Mark McGuire, saying it wasn't steroids, it was that he his workout program was so intense. That's what they said about Bonds. That's what they said about Sheffield. All these guys had these incredibly intense workout programs and immediate recovery, so they could do it again the next day. That's much of what steroids and HGH do for you. There was another issue about visual acuity. Um, Joe Morgan used to defend Barry Bonds, saying he just sees much better than everyone else. Our scientist at this seminar said, one of the things HGH does for you, all these cyclists (coughs) who use it, talk about their visual acuity, how much it increases your visual acuity. It's a, a side effect of HGH, and you heard Joe Morgan go, oh, wow. He's been defending Barry Bonds all these years because of his eyesight and HGH helps. One of the other problems in baseball still in regard to HGH, HGH does everything steroids do, and we really, we say we test for it, we don't. We test once a year. It stays in your system for only a few days, and... uh, It's too hard to do. Pardon me? It's too hard to
3: do the test right. Well, it's a blood
1: test, there's no urine test for it, which, uh, urine tests for steroids, you can have uh, non-professionals Take the sample and watch the sample being taken. Uh, HGH, you have to have medical professionals do it, and uh, there's a lot of resistance to that.
2: One of, the, one of the things about baseball and steroids, HGH, that I always thought you should write a story about, Bob, is relief pitching and the change. I mean, you know, everybody credits Tony LaRussa for change, doing matchups every 30 seconds with every pitch virtually. You know, and how it's changed the game and slowed it down in the meantime even more um, by, by matching up so often. But, you know, nobody stakes the next step and says, well, how is it those guys who we used to say had rubber arms now all have rubber arms? And how do they recover so fast? Well, part of the reason they recover so fast is because the drugs allow them to recover. And that's one of the stories that, you know, everybody talks about the power. But how about the recovery? I mean, when you, Pettit always said that's why he took mm-hmm. uh, the drugs that he took. And that, I think, is an underreported story, and you should do it.
3: <laughs> well, the recovery thing I mean, is absolutely real. And I've always thought that pitchers were much more likely to benefit from steroids than hitters were. I mean, pitching is more than just strength, to be sure, but it's closer to it th- th- than hitting is. And I, I, whether or not it has a performance effect, which I still think the jury's out, my biggest concern about all the publicity that steroids get is the inspiration it gives 14 to 15 year old boys to go out and do it. Now, I've often been skeptical of things, well, you know, you shouldn't behave that way because you're a role model for the youth. I'm a little bit leery of that. But in this case, it's kind of hard to get around that. You've got a bunch of 15 year olds who are never gonna be major league baseball players who are taking this stuff which is demonstrably harmful to them. Whatever performance benefit there may or may not be, the physiological damage from this stuff is beyond question. And I think that is probably the longest term
1: terrible thing that comes from this. We, we discovered at USADA that this stuff works. Uh, there's no question about it that it works. Maybe not for baseball hitters, but it works for conditioning, mm, strengthening. Uh, we, we had a medical report uh, at one point that, uh, about cycling that said, essentially very objective by medical practitioners, this is humanly impossible, what these people do without the help of significant amounts of drugs. Um, And to your point, we did surveys of young people and said, if you could take a substance that you knew was going to help you make an Olympic team, win a medal, whatever, achieve this level, get a college scholarship, but you know it's gonna take 10 years off your life with some horrible disability at the end, would you do it? And the response level was in the mid 90s yes absolutely and it's not only the kids it's their parents now who yeah. are encouraging and their coaches who encourage them you know if you were just a little bigger a little stronger a little faster you might make the varsity next year and that's a very scary part Michael.
0: yeah and so i've talked to several baseball players who said that do it only takes three or five years after life to make that kind of money but, you know, like the, with the uh, HGH in particular, you remember Aragonian with the uh, Dodgers, he could throw high 90s for like five or six days in a row. And I, I got a you know, Hall of Famer like Goose Gossage you would drive him crazy, saying, you can do it maybe two days in a row. I couldn't do that. It's impossible. But a lot of people, the trainers would tell you, if you take HGH right, it's actually good for you. That you know, people are breaking down because there's no HGH. That, you know, you, know, you do it in the health clinics, and you know, all these actors and actresses. It's not a bad drug.
1: Well, it, it becomes bad later in life because it promotes cell growth, and as we get older, we have a lot of bad cells in us, particularly cancer, that HGH enhances the growth of. So then it can be very dangerous. Yes.
0: And Jim, with your uh, you know research with you know Colfax and Mandel now, Ruth, when do you think the drug epidemic started? When I first started. I first started seeing it late '80s with the Texas Rangers and Oakland A's, but when which you research,
2: which epidemic do you yeah. want to talk about? Uh,
0: more, uh, more, more steroids. Okay. Okay. steroids. Um,
2: okay. I think it's a, we were talking about that earlier. It's it's very hard to pinpoint exactly when it started. I mean, as most of you know, the, the old-time Yankees and everybody else used to inhale you know handfuls of greenies like candy. Mantle was famous for doing it, and so you know. These guys play 162 or before 154 games, and it's hard, you know, to get up, especially if you've been drunk all night. So, um, so you know, <laughs> pour in a few greedies, and now add some Red Bull, and you're, you know, you're good to go. Um, so it depends. Which there's always been something that's that somebody's been willing to take, and of course it was sanctioned by Major League Baseball and the teams because there was the trainers that were giving out those drugs, and it certainly was Major League Baseball that took a very, very, very blind eye to what was going on in the 90s. I know that, um, you know, Dave is the, the stat guru here and he's done the stats for all my books and so I, I'm loath to contradict him, but, but, uh, but I'm going to. Um, I mean, if you look at the, uh, I was talking to Mike Rizzo, the general manager of the Nats about this the other day because I thought the, one of the questions that you were going to ask maybe I'm wrong, was, um, you know, whether the game was changed forever by it. It, it. The perception may have been changed forever by this, but the actual, you know, his point of view is that the, the play on the field is actually reverting back to where it was before the big, you know, 1999, 1998 McGuire-Sosa year and forward. So, in 1998, 13 players hit 40 or more home runs. Does anybody know how many hit more 40 or more last year? Two. Chris Davis, who led the major leagues with 50 for the Orioles, and Miguel Cabrera um, with 40, 40. how many was it? A whole bunch. Thank you. <laughs> 44. And there were three who, hurt, who hit uh, th- 36 and three who hit 34. There's a difference of a half a, um, a, half a run per game being scored between now and 2013, it was uh, 4.17 runs per game, 4.79 in 1998. Now that half run is statistically excuse me, David important to a general manager in terms of what that means over the long haul of a season. So there's no doubt that those offensive statistics and runs scored also are coming back down. Did they continue to climb for a number of years after 1998? Yes, they did. Five or six more years, is that correct? Yeah. Thank you, David. Um, before they started to you know, level off and then go down.
1: I, the if for- I could say, those of us who were around the game, around the players all the time, uh, you mention, I'm, I'm not gonna mention names, but since you mentioned names, uh, Gagne, all the players knew what he was doing. All the players knew it. I can remember sitting in Cam during spring training in probably 1987 or 1988 when the Oakland A's bus pulled up and they had taken batting practice at their park and had come over to play the Cubs. And these guys got out of the bus and came walking across the outfield with their jerseys off and their muscle shirts on. And I, I forget who I was sitting with, a couple of players, a couple of writers, and all of us stopped and went, whoa, looked like a WWF group coming you know like the the intro coming across that was 1987 or 1988 and it was it was going on that early the other thing i would say to your point about statistics coming back and it's something at least i look at i think people in our organization look at um, is since testing for amphetamines has become more intense in the last four or five years you will see many fewer 34 and 35 year old players being signed and extending their careers. You see players getting tired during the season. You have to really, and statistically, I think that has a negative impact on statistics as well. They just don't hold up. And it wasn't only, I mean, amphetamines have been a part of the culture of the game for as long as I've been involved in it. And it's not just the guys who get drunk. I had a couple Mormon clients who said, there are some days in August when I can't make my legs move if I don't no. get help. And it's there, if there are people in the game who weren't using amphetamines or haven't, I, I, they're few and far between.
3: Right, right. Do I get to defend myself on the <laughs> No. <coughs> did I attack you Because, because no, no, I did <laughs> Because Jane quoted the right numbers, but they are, I guess, polite way to say this out of context. The important thing, to do is not to take any two points. Compare this year to last year. Compare 10 years ago to this year. You need long-term trends, which is what my organization does. And one of the things which I've never seen anybody report is if you look at the, let's say, a 10-year span. 10 years is a nice long time. If something's going on, you should be able to see it in 10 years. What is the period of a 10-year period which had the greatest increase in home runs per game? It doesn't start in 1990. It starts in 1955. So I doubt if anybody thought that from 1955 to 1965 people were using amphetamines. There's all sorts of other reasons, and I'm not smart enough to figure out what all those reasons are, but the point is the raw data don't support this. Again, I'm not saying that the guys didn't take it, I'm not saying it didn't improve it, but looking at the statistical record will not give you that result when you look at it in what I think is the appropriate balanced way, which is long-term trends, not cherry-picking single
0: seasons. I mean, one point, too, is that <clears throat> it was almost a level playing field. Well, you know, we talk about the offensive era. Hey, pitchers were using it just as much. And that's the funny part why the offense took off, even though pitchers were doing the same exact thing. I agree. You know, and then, you know, you talk about nymphenemines, but you're right. I can't name five players that never tried amphetamines in their life or used them. And even baseball scouts today joke that they should legalize it for day games because they say the Sunday day games are the worst days of the week. Because the guys are dead of energy, and uh, it was common. I mean, as common as a cup of coffee. Yeah. Or, and by the way, did or in the cup of coffee, they, <laughs> right. they were
2: using them in the late fifties and sixties, a lot. So that accounts for the home run increase. I'm just saying, you or you said they <laughs> no, you didn't think I anybody didn't, thought they were using them. I didn't say 55. that. Yes, they, you nobody did. Nobody thought yes. they were
3: accounting for the home run increase. So I said, <laughs> I, <you laughs> listen no, to the videotape.
0: Go to the videotape.
2: <laughs> now,
0: now I have a Hall of Fame vote, and I, I vote for the steroid guys just because it was almost a level playing field. And we don't know who, who was doing what. It bothers me and some of my closest friends won't vote for a Bonds or Clemens, but they'll vote for guys who were steroid guys and just weren't caught.
3: Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the other parts of this, which uh, it, it's just reality, the, there are all sorts of guys who have admitted and have been suspended and everything else. But the three poster boys, the ones that got the biggest ink out of all of this, are Bonds and A-Rod and Roger Clemens none of whom are very easy people to deal with. They are are not very pleasant human beings, and they, they make their own lives worse by the way they interact with people. That doesn't make them guilty, it just makes them worse. The worst I ever saw, and Bob, you probably saw it, in the Giants Clubhouse probably 10 years ago, Barry Bonds had corner locker, actually he had three corner lockers, and he had this gigantic chair in front of them and people would come in and he would turn his back to the rest of the room so no one could come to him. And several reporters started referring to him as the Sun King, which was very appropriate to the way he was ruling over that clubhouse. It's hard to, to write warm, fuzzy stories about a guy that does things like that. doesn't make him guilty. makes him not a very nice guy to deal with. And that makes it easier for people to believe these stories. You see Bonds doing something bad at the personal level, it's easy to believe other bad things about him, whether they're true David, or not. David,
2: it was his head size. Not the size of his lockers. I'm sure he was his hands
3: a on the bat, not his head.
0: But, um, you know, I mean, the Giants fostered that. I mean, the Giants allowed him to have the three sure. lockers and have a TV right there in his entourage. I mean, those days are gone, but don't blame Bonds. I mean, no, no, the I'm Giants, not. say go ahead, do it.
1: I'm not blaming him. i got to ask you about the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm very um, <laughs> raw with me. Um, two years in a row, I've gone and sat in Craig Vigio's living room um, waiting to hear the announcement and uh, he's the only player, well outside of Rose and Palmero, he's the only player in history who has 3,000 hits that wasn't elected on the first ballot. He, wasn't, he hit 291 home runs but he wasn't known as a home run hitter, a slugger. Now Bagwell I also represent and people have said I'm not voting him because, for him because he was a slugger in the steroid era. No positive tests, no allegations, not named anywhere, not even interviewed in the Mitchell uh, Commission but because he participated in that era and he was a slugger, I'm not voting for him. And there are a number of your colleagues who take that position. Um, um, and I, I, I guess I can sort of understand it on Bagwell, I just don't understand it on Biggio. And is the suspicion that widespread that people aren't going to vote for players like that just because they were in the steroid era?
0: Yeah, I mean, what, there were 15 guys that didn't vote for Greg Maddox just because he played in an era. Maybe I mean, that watched Maddox or saw him, you know, and it was impossible they use steroids, but you know, he should have been 100%, or at least broken Seaver's record. But you're right, I mean, I don't understand Bijou either. Never heard rumors of that, maybe Greenies, but who didn't you hear about that with Greeners? You'd have to take out everybody from the Hall of Fame. But Bijo is a harder one to understand than, than a Bagwell.
2: Well, I don't have a vote, and I wouldn't vote for any of them,
0: not a single one. Not Craig Biggio?
2: Oh, no, I don't, yeah, I would vote for Pichot. I'm talking about the, the guys that we either have admitted it or where, you know, they've been named in the Mitchell Reporter or, or something like that. I think there should be a hall of shame for those guys.
1: Well, there's, a, there's a gray area, though. The the Mike Piazzas, the Jeff Bagwells, people who, they were sluggers in that era. But well, Those guys
2: I have no problem with. I mean, I, I'm talking about the guys who... Why not? So
3: walk, you know who's who, right? You know which ones did it, right. which ones didn't?
2: Well, there are guys, I, I mean, you know... There was, has anybody read the new Pete Rose book or read the excerpt in Sports Illustrated? Um, a guy named Kostya Kennedy is a good reporter and writer for um, Sports Illustrated. There's a new biography out. And the excerpt in Sports Illustrated two weeks ago basically says, well, you know, maybe it's time for us to all be nice to Pete Rose because, after all, the steroid guys were punishing for what they did to the game, assumption that we know what exactly the steroids did. That's a nod to you, David. Whereas Pete Rose were punishing for what we think he might have done to the game, well, you know, pardon me, but you know, I didn't teach my kids that two rogues make a right. This is moral relativism of a kind that I find absolutely appalling. I mean, we were talking about this before. There's one rule uh, above every clubhouse: is that thou shalt not bet on baseball. And that just because there are guys who've done something else wrong. Or wrong morally, even though it's not cheating because it wasn't against the rules when McGuire did it, you know, you know, it's it, it, it was it was wrong, it was it was wrong to do to their bodies. It's wrong to give the message to the 14-year-olds, and I would cut a deal. I mean, if I were czar, which I'm not, you know, any guy who wants to come forward and say I did it, you know but I'm willing to spend a year in community service going out to high schools to say, you know, I did this, it was wrong, let me tell you what it did to my body, let me tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly, then I'd give him a pass. Other than that, mm-mm.
0: I mean, I think David has a point with, with Bonds. I mean, Bonds was a number one draft pick, a superstar player, you know, one of the greatest players ever lived, and yet we penalize him, but yet you know, we don't know what, who did what, but my Piazza was a 60-second round draft pick. He was a backup first baseman at junior college. He got huge and he hit home runs outside Dodger Stadium. So why does he get a free pass? He was doing stuff that's supernatural. Uh,
1: he, you going to answer that? No,
0: you go ahead.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: you going to
0: answer that?
3: Same answer okay. to all the others. I mean. Maybe they both did it. Maybe neither one did. Maybe it helped. Maybe it didn't help.
2: There is evidence that there that that linked bonds, and there has not been for um, for yeah. Piazza.
3: That's it's it's very simple. To the drug use, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Anybody that says bonds into the drugs, I think is kind of delusional. I think of course he did.
1: You know, there's there's another point that sometimes has escaped, and it's kind of caused me a little bit of of juxtaposition and confusion, having been with Usada, where we're trying to, to, to research and find out what they're taking and then test them, uh, to knowing ball players, knowing athletes, who strangely, many who resisted taking steroids felt pressure from people around them. Uh, Bob knows a story of one of my clients was Wally Joyner, a Mormon. Um, he was injured, uh, had a bad ankle, couldn't, get op- couldn't recover from it. The Padres were in a pennant race uh, he just he couldn't get it better. And one of his teammates came to him and said, I can get you something that will help you get better. And um, Wally at first said no. He didn't get better for 10 more days. And this guy said, hey, look, we need you. You need to do something to get better. And so he provided him with something. Wally took it once, put it away. Ten days later, he saw it in his locker, took it, flushed it down the toilet but he was feeling that pressure, so what happened? Buster Olney is doing, well, I can say the name, it was a story on Ken Caminiti, who was a dear friend and a wonderful man, uh, but Buster Olney was doing a story on Caminiti about his demons, and, and Wally said, oh yeah, he, and told the story about how Cammy had given him this stuff and, and, and uh, enticed him to try it. Uh, I can remember Buster calling me, he goes, oh, he didn't really tell me that. I'm going to have to write this now. <laughs> and so Wally Joyner, who, who tried it one time, is in the Mitchell, Mitchell report as a steroid user. Uh, and I have always drawn the distin- distinction between Andy Pettit and Roger Clemens. Andy Pettit, I believe him, I believe he took what he did to try to get better. I believe Roger Clemens took what he did to enhance and extend his career, and uh, if you can't look at those statistics and figure out when he started taking it, and if you can't look at Rafael Palmeiro's statistics and figure out when he started taking it.
3: I'm glad to go over the numbers with you. I'm, I'm No doubt that, either, that both of them did take the drugs. It's just not clear what the, to me what the effect is.
1: Look at Rafael Palmero before Texas and after Texas. Look at
3: Henry Aaron before he was 32 and after he was 32. Okay, Mark
1: Grace said Rafael Palmero and I were the same player mm. at Chicago. Mm-hmm. They were. I absolutely. stayed at Chicago. When I got to be 33 or 34, my skills started diminishing. He went to Texas and his skills went like this at 33
0: and 34. It wasn't because of the fresh air. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the unfortunate thing is that we don't know who's clean or dirty even now. I mean, even the Biogenesis case. 13 or 14 guys got suspended. None of them tested positive. And so we don't know how many guys are still getting away with it now.
2: Lance Armstrong didn't test positive.
0: Right, right. For
1: years. Oh, he did once, but they covered
2: it up. But they covered it up, right. Oh, we,
1: we, at USADA, we used to say if you flunk a drug test these days, You're an idiot. You haven't flunked a drug test, you flunked an IQ test. That's excellent.
3: That's excellent. And we can't,
1: the only way you catch people now is what are called non analytical positives, where you do the paper trail and find out who their associates are
0: and what they've purchased from different people. I mean, general managers will widely deny it, but you actually wanted steroid guys, a few of them on your team, not all 25 guys. But those guys, you know, like talking about, you know, Bonds Maguire, they worked out like madmen and they would get their sleep, eat right, go into bed right, where everybody else is, you know, partying in the streets and stuff like that. Be you of those guys on your team. Remember Steve Phillips, the former GM of the Mets, said the only time he got mad at a steroid guy is when he got off it. You know, like you traded for a guy, and he (laughs) becomes clean.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, Gio Gonzalez got nailed in biogenesis at the beginning. You know, I saw him in a restaurant the other night. You know, he's like this little schmendrick, you know. He's not a big guy, there's no way this guy was ever bulked up. You could just look at him and see, and of course there is this you know, um, damnation by association because even though you know, what happened was, yes, his father really was uh, uh, taking weight control stuff from this guy at Biogenesis, and like so many players, he was supporting his father. He was writing the checks. That's why there were checks in his name. When, you know, was he cleared you? Well, that's a, a little fine print. Nobody really comes out and says, oh, we're sorry. You know, it didn't, you really, we, you know, we're, we're clearing you. Those, those corrections in newspapers and elsewhere are always in very fine, fine print. Once again, the, the
1: PEDs are not a, always just about bulk. They're about recovery time. Oh, I, I
0: agree so. with you. I agree with you. Yeah, man. there's many players that, that were <clears throat> trapped in the Biogenesis got suspended and are very mad that Gonzalez wasn't suspended. There were 90 guys in those things, so we're talking about almost you know, 75 guys get off. But those players very upset that Gonzalez wasn't suspended too. They don't believe that story. Really? Yeah. So I mean that's you know part of it. You just don't know who was clean, who wasn't. I mean you know, local legend here, Louis Gonzalez, hit when he hit that when year, 57 home runs. The only time he hit, but uh, over 30 before or after. You well, know, look at Louis. His body never changed. Great guy. I mean, he's he's it. You know, the same year with uh, the. Was that Brady Anderson? Was that the Brady Anderson 50? I yeah, right, right, right. Brady
1: Anderson gets vilified and Louie doesn't.
3: Right, yeah. I'd you know. say the evidence is probably pretty equivalent for the two.
1: Louis a special assistant with the Diamondbacks. I love the guy. I see. I see. <laughs> Well, that would make a difference. Yeah, I see that. <laughs>
0: well, I guess the thing is, you know, I mean, should we care? I mean, let's talk to a few uh, guys who have been caught for steroids, and they say, don't you want to see the star players? I mean, you see these NBA guys go to Europe, have the blood transfusion and stuff. Don't we want to see a Kobe on the basketball court no matter what it takes? Don't we want to see our favorite baseball players you know, go ahead and take HGH and stuff, at least be in the field and not break down?
1: Um, I guess, you know, I don't know that anybody's ever been prescribed HGH as a ball player. They have been prescribed steroids mm-hmm. for injuries and recovery all the time. You know, I, I think that's a distinction. If It's not an illegal drug if you use it legally, if it's prescribed legally. It's controlled, uh, it's not illegal. And w- one of the, another example of that is, uh, as soon as amphetamine started, testing started taking place, the incidence of uh, TUEs, therapeutic use exemptions, a player can go to his doctor and say, hey, I need to take, in this case, Ritalin or Adderall because I'm ADD, I have been for years, and there are some who validly take that medication for that. But the incidence of TUEs for that increased, I think fourfold once <laughs> amphetamine testing started taking place. So players are substituting Adderall and, and Ritalin for um, the the greenies they used to take in some instances.
2: You know, with Cofex, I actually got slammed by somebody. Um, for accusing him of taking steroids because the ignorance is, you never you know go broke underestimating the ignorance because he did take um, the kind of steroids that you inject into your arm in order to keep pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, and he took butazolidine, which was a horrible drug but actually really worked to keep swelling down. It's what they used to give broken down horses and they took it off the market both for, out of the racing game and out of the human game. Because it, it also killed people, um, and you know, and, and people read that and concluded, oh, Koufax was taking steroids, mm-hmm. and you know, he was getting slammed. I was getting slammed. And you, 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 trying to educate people about sports medicine, whether it's legal drugs, illegal drugs, what's considered legal, what's prescribed, is a very tough field, and you know, it's made harder by the fact that team physicians um, can't really talk, um, and nor should they by the way, um, but the, you know, the reporting of, of injuries goes back to well, he's got a knee, you know, <laughs> we've come a long way from that but it's st- there's still an enormous amount of ignorance among reporters writing about medicine. They just don't understand it.
1: Well, and team physicians have as big a conflict of interest as ever exists. You're paid yes. by the ownership of the team which wants to have your star player on the field as much as possible. Right. There are many times where if you had a knee or an ankle or an elbow and you went to your doctor, he would treat you a certain way. They can pretty much assure you that the Team, doctor the team be doctors reversed. are treating the star players a little differently and getting them back on the field quicker and maybe taking more risks in that regard.
3: This goes back to one of the very first points, which was that baseball, that Jane made, which is that baseball's on your face every day. I mean, it's a 183 day season and they play 162 games. The NFL, tries hard to find stories on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, but it is not the same thing. Whereas y- yesterday's baseball game is done and what's today's new, there's gotta be something new, something on every single day. And I think that makes all the stuff more exaggerated because of the, of the imminentness of it all.
0: Yeah, I mean, the story guys are guys that cheated. This doesn't make them bad guys. I mean, the misnomer is that you did it to make money. I mean, A-Rod had his money already. He was already making two hundred and seventy five million million, but he still wanted to be the best. I mean, Ryan Braun had already signed his extension. He had some problems and started taking it just to stay in the field. So there is a huge pride factor involved. You know, it's not just, hey, you know, I'm trying to cheat the system, I'm trying to uh, make more money. They had their money. They allowed it, just pride. So, you, Barry?
1: I, yeah, I, I think, again, it's, it's a, there is a gray area, as I said, about guys feeling guilty and, and, hey, I'm making a lot of money. I need to get myself back on the field, and how can I do it? What can I take to get better? And you also do have team physicians who are, I, I had a, a client, Jake Peavy, who, uh, there was a lot of evidence of him having a problem in the back of his shoulder, and the team doctor basically said, well, we can give you something that'll get you back out there on the field, you'll be able to pitch, and he went out and tore his latissimus dorsi muscle off the bone, and n- never seen an injury like that before. And I, you know, I, I can't say for sure what happened, but I think that when your body has bleeding and bruising and pain, it's trying to tell you something and you kill that with a painkiller and say, go ahead and do what the thing is that's <laughs> been hurting you, go ahead and do that. It's probably gonna hurt you more at some point. And uh, you know, that kind of thing goes on. P- players take substances sometimes on their own, sometimes prescribed by team physicians and sometimes they're harmful.
0: That was a reliever, uh, Wesley Wright of the Houston Astros a few years ago. He downed like six Red Bulls before he pitched, mm-hmm. and uh, he fainted on the mound, and they had to take him to the Chicago Hospital. But uh, people are always trying to get that edge, you know, whether it maybe mean, those little bracelets everybody wore or the jeans, like a metallic thing. So I and think are some sort of cheating is always going on.
2: Are those weird necklaces going to be gone finally this year? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's a, like a superstitious thing too. But you know, like in Phenomines, I remember uh, former trainer of the Brewers used to say, I hate when a young kid came up, and use amphetamines. Because if he went four for four, he'd use amphetamines his entire career. If he had a bad game or just a normal game, he wouldn't do it. So it was just, okay, I need it to play.
2: Well, Bouton was the guy who, who always said about any of this, you know, any athlete, certainly any major leaguer, give him a, cho- a choice between, you know, take, take this and you'll win 20 games, you'll hit 60 home runs, you'll lose a year. They'd take, the, they'd take whatever it is. Sure. They're, they're competitors. They're, comp- they're t- being tested every day, every at bat, every pitch. They're competing against their personal best. They're competing against the guy behind them and you know, who wants their job. They're competing against you know the guy on the other side of the field. So in that kind of environment, they'll take anything. They'll do anything. Sure.
1: I, I had a client who was a pitcher who never took anything. I, he tells me that. I believe him. Had a very nice career and found out, I was sitting with him at one time when there was some news about a particular hitter who they discovered or he admitted to having taken uh, some performance enhancers and he reacted completely angrily saying, that guy, he hit a home run off of us. He hit a home run off of me in a playoff situation and kept us, out. he kept me out of a World Series because he cheated and two sentences later, he said, you know, I never really knew what was going on. If I would have known, I would have done it right you know, just like that he was so <laughs> mad about someone right. cheating but then said i would have done it no question so
0: it was like what teams had the best cheaters che- cheaters i mean mm-hmm. even with the diamondbacks when the world series it's like that team wasn't clean you know and the yankees weren't clean but it's okay who, who had the most guys and just nobody seemed to care now we care to a degree but you wonder how much baseball really cares because like you said why not have more blood testing It's expensive, but
2: why not do it more? Again, Dave and I were talking about this earlier, and and we we agree on this. There's a difference between cheating and doing something that's wrong. Because when McGuire was doing what McGuire was doing, whatever it was that he was drinking, whatever, I can't remember the name of it. I can't pronounce the whole thing. I know it's it. You know, in 1998, it wasn't illegal. There was no rule that said he couldn't do that. Whether it was right or not is a different question. It was not cheating in the legal sense of the word. And clearly, Bud Selig, who's about to retire, and you know, who turned a blind eye, as did all of Major League Baseball, all through the mid-'90s, late-'80s, all the way through you know, the McGuire-Sosa year, profiting from it enormously, now comes to the end of his 20-year tenure and he'll be damned if he goes out finding out that, oh my God, they're all doing it again. I claimed I cleaned it up. Oops, you know, here they are again. So you know, they've Major League Baseball has cut some corners that wouldn't stand up in a court of law um, in their zeal to get Alex Rodriguez, who clearly deserves to be gotten. But whether, you know, whether could you do this in an actual court of law? I don't think so.
3: One of the themes that people said that I totally agree with is these guys will do anything if they think we'll give them an edge. I mean, amphetamines, um, the idea of having energy for a Sunday day game, you yeah, maybe. But in actual improved performance in the game, I think the, the data aren't there for that other than, other than, say, the energy stuff. But I'll turn to a slightly different example, very different example, about bat, uh, players doctoring bats, uh, hollowing out the bat and putting cork in it. And Norm Cash, supposedly, had super balls in his bat, and Greg Nettles did, and so on. The overwhelming scientific evidence done by any number of reputable physicists is that when you doctor the bat, the ball actually goes less far. It actually hurts the performance, but they do it because they think it's better. So it's not that like these guys are thinking things through. It's pressure from their, their teammates. It's pressure of what they perceive. I saw, I heard somebody else say this would work, so I'm gonna try it. And yes, I feel better because I did. It's, th- these guys are not thinking things through.
1: Uh, just uh, on that note with the cork bats, uh, just an anecdote. I was with Mark Grace when he went in for his Mitchell Commission interview. And he was not accused, but he had been a teammate of Rafael Palmero and Sammy Sosa. And so he went in to tell what he knew, what he saw. And Mark's a pretty outspoken guy. And they had volumes, notebooks full of his quotes. You know, I saw that and I went, oh no, this could be bad. And among the quotes often were, you know, Sammy Sosa's my least favorite teammate, he's a cheater, he's just a cheater. And they kept grilling him and saying well what did you see him do did you ever see him inject himself did you see him take anything did you see it in his locker no 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 well he called him a cheater and he said yeah he corked his bat." right, you
0: know? right. that was <laughs> why he called him a cheater so.
1: perception
3: is, is not everything but it's a whole whole big part of this
0: yeah i mean i think changing is always part of baseball i mean sign stealing Lord perry's in the hall of fame for bragging about it so it's just what's. Well, I guess well, there's these unofficial,
3: society. these unofficial boundaries. If you're a runner on second base and can look in and get the catcher's signal and pass some sign to the batter, that's okay. But if you're out in the bullpen with binoculars, getting it and somehow pass it, that's not okay. Well, you know, either you're getting the catcher's signs or you're not getting the catcher's signs. Right? I never understood why there was any difference between those two things.
2: Because one's on the field. And that makes you smart because you're thinking right? as opposed to the team telling you to go on the polo grounds with the binoculars. Yeah, yeah.
1: And there's re- a way that players know how to enforce that stuff and take care of it. Well, you're going to get plunked, you know, and that's, that solves the problem.
0: Yeah, I think it will be fascinating just what what happens from now on as far as the, uh, you know, whether cheating still stays around, who's the next big star to get caught, and the next 20 years will be interesting. But I want to thank everybody for coming, thank you guys for coming, it was awesome.
4: We
3: now have a few minutes to take questions from all of the audience. Uh, if there are any questions, let
4: me know and I will come to you.
0: That was really great, thank you. Um, two questions. If it's so hard to get into a game in August in the sun and you need to take drugs, why, is the, why don't they shorten the season? If it's, so, if, it's inhuman, if it's impossible to do for these incredibly healthy men one, that's question one. Two, you, went, you mentioned which epidemics, and now I'm really, you mentioned greenies, you mentioned the amphetamines in the 50s. Can you tell us any other lore about other epidemics and what, what they may have been taking maybe even earlier than that? I'll answer the first one. I mean, the first one, just about the money. Sure. I mean, they would rather have, you know, the players, I think owners, everybody would like to go down a shorter season, but the owners don't wanna give up that gate, the players aren't gonna take a pay cut, so it's, it's just about money same you know?
3: reason they don't play double headers anymore
0: right exactly they well it's also
1: the same the same reason we have a 38-game spring training schedule <laughs> right and right most players managers coaches will tell you give us 15 to 20 games we're ready yeah. but it's a revenue source a huge revenue source these days with the new stadiums you see around here and they're filling them and charging major league prices for tickets
2: and of course you know it's it's a lot different than it was back in beirut's day when baseball got as far as st louis and that was the entire country and uh you know the west coast be damned um you had you know good quality minor league ball but the 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 red eyes and the flights and the scheduling for these guys i mean it's it's not hard to understand why their bodies wear out
0: your second one i mean i know about a uh it's only just different periods of time. I mean, when I mean, Babe Ruth played, you know, the segregation time like that, just different pockets, whether it's a dead ball era, uh, you know, when, when the mounds were high, when Bob Gibson was, uh, you know, one the ERA, one one two. It's just different times. But I don't know, if, was there any ever drug epidemics of different kinds? Well, before? I mean,
2: I, I was referring basically to the level of alcoholism in baseball in the 50s. <laughs> that didn't
0: help. <laughs> you know, I asked
2: Mickey Mantle that once, and it, he actually thought it did help his performance. <laughs> that
0: um, make
2: it I mean, yeah. Yeah, it probably helped him. Um, it, that may have helped him with pain. I mean, that was one argument that his wife and some of his sons would make to me is that it was hard for him to not drink because it, it assuaged how much pain he was in, which is, you know, when you're an alcoholic, you're an alcoholic because you're an alcoholic, not because it assuages pain or this, that, or the next thing. You know, that, it, that's the bottom line. But if you think back to him in the 50s, you know, there, there was no Major League Baseball substance abuse program. There was nobody saying, you know, Mick, your mother's nine brothers and sisters are all alcoholics, there's a really good chance that you might be too, and maybe you'd like to ease up. There was nobody and nothing, you know. and one of the reasons I had sympathy for him, as sloppy and as stupid as he could often be um, when drinking too much, the fact was there was no Bill W. around to help out, There were no, you know, meetings for him to go to. So, you know, every every drink that was offered up to him, every, you know, was a a setup for him. And there were a lot of players like that. And you talk to Sam McDowell, who's done great work in in helping to rehab a lot of former players and current players. Um, You know, if there had been that kind of education and help available to Mickey Mantle, Could have been a whole different world, but it was a whole different American culture, too. Remember, this is Mad Men era. Um, Everybody was drinking martinis at lunch. Well, not everybody, my parents didn't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, so that was an epidemic of sorts, certainly. And the Greeny era, you know, all through the 50s and 60s, you know, and and still, you know, I mean, but, you know, trainers have them in candy jars.
0: We didn't forget the one era, the cocaine era was very popular. Oh yeah, of course, that thank hurt you. guys, I mean, Doc Ellis pitched no hitter on acid, that type of thing. But, you know, guys would have vials of cocaine in their pocket, and that was, right. that, yeah. did, that did not help performance. <laughs> you
1: know, the other thing about that, that the era of the 50s, not everybody had cell phones in those days either, so we <laughs> didn't know in real time, I, I idolized Mickey Mantle, we didn't know in real time that he was, a few people in New York did, and here and there. But until people write his biography, you don't really know about it. Well, I've I've
2: I've actually written that you know in an odd way he might have been better off if he had lived in a cell phone era. You think about Michael Phelps, the swimmer who got nailed inhaling from a bong at a I think it was the University of South Carolina frat party. you know, I'm sure his mother and his agent and a, a lot of sponsorships were not too thrilled with him. It was probably really good for him to get yeah. caught. It would have been better for Mickey Mantle
1: to have gotten caught. There's actually a website now, drunkathletes.com. Yes, I know it <laughs> well. <laughs> can
2: you imagine Babe Ruth at uh, drunkathletes.com?
1: I don't, I, I just can imagine some people I know or don't have, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> who have appeared. Next question over here on your
3: right.
4: Um, my name is Gary. Um, it, it's actually, it's, it's less of a question than an opinion or a statement than just if you guys would react to it. Um, you know, I've had the, th- this is from a fan, a, a baseball fan, I've been a baseball fan forever. Um, just, uh, you know, I was, I was eight years old when Bill Mazeroski broke my heart. It was the, it was the first thing, It's the first sadness I remember actually. Um, you know, I've debated the Pete Rose entry into the Hall of Fame versus the, you know, steroid guys into the Hall of Fame. And what I always felt was from a fan standpoint, the steroid users so badly affected the game. I mean, you know, all I've done through my whole life is, you know, is debate, you know, Mantle, Maze, you know, against, you know, Trout, These, you know, just, Comparisons, and I think I think Barry, you missed it. You may have said it first, which is, you know, it's, it's such a statistic game. Th- they have hurt the game so much that, you know, they've hurt me as, as a fan, they've killed my game. Pete Rose, you know, Pete Rose bet on his team. Um, and, I'm not, and you know, is it wrong? I get it's wrong. Does it justify lifetime banning
2: yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, I mean, absolutely. I know, well, I. Does anybody that, disagree with me? I, I disagree. No. no. Okay.
4: I mean, I, I do. Crazy. I, I, but I just. Thou
2: shalt not bet well, I on it, games. But, but reality.
4: I, I understand precedent, and you need to, you need to prevent this because it could ruin the game. Nineteen, nineteen. I get Landis. I, I mean, I know that. It's just that what Rose did was arrogant, and you know, every, every time I say Rose should be in the Hall of Fame, then I listen to him, and you know. Rose is not the most most likable guy I've ever met in my seen in my life, but but the the steroid era hurt the game. I mean, it's with it, for, from a fan standpoint, it hurt the game. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm sorry, David, is that your name? Mm-hmm. I, you know, you look at the, you know, I understand that from a long-term scientist standpoint, maybe it's not there, but you know, you look at the five, five of the greatest offensive years ever, were Barry Bonds from 36 to 41. Whereas, you know, everybody else was just, you know, guys, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, by 35, they're done. That, so that's I,
3: not true, actually. But that's, that's well, okay. maybe it isn't. More. So anyway,
4: th- I don't have a
1: question other than I wanted to make a the, Can I respond to you? Please. First of all, I agree from the statistical point of view that I agree with you. It, it has hurt the game in terms of those comparisons. I could also argue that for four or five years after the work stoppage in 94, 95, they saved the game. The Cal Ripken streak and the Bonds McGuire home run contest brought people back to the ballpark and I will never believe that the commissioner of baseball and everybody running baseball didn't realize that and look the other way and allow it to happen. So in a way, it saved the game. As for gambling, it's not just about putting five bucks on a game. It's about the slimy characters that you bring into the game. I know Bob knows this, I know it from used to being able to be downstairs and hanging around the clubhouse, to after Pete Rose, all the the security, the credentials because of the people they had to throw out, the the gamblers, the gangsters, the horrible people that he brought around the game because of his gambling habit and the impact that was going to have on all the other people in that game. So, never, never, (laughs) never, never.
2: He should rot in hell, excuse me.
3: (laughs)
4: My name is Tommy, and I'm a baseball
0: addict. Uh, Yes. I've listened to you all tonight, and I agree with 95% of what you said. Disagree with you, Mr. Smith. The greatest era of baseball production was 21 to 30. I know it's the dead ball era.
3: Not the rate of increase, which is what I'm talking about. I have to show you the graphs.
0: I I would still disagree. Um, Ms. Levy, uh, I've read your books. I think you're one of the best baseball writers out there. Thank you. Um, just absolutely amazing. I'm familiar with both of your work, gentlemen, and uh, this was a great experience. I hope everybody here enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.
3: Thank you. One more question in the back.
0: I had a, a global question, which is we have, uh, there's pretty good professional baseball in Korea, Japan, Cuba, even Mexico. Um, did any of those professional leagues have a steroid era? Did they, how, did they, how did they deal with that? Has this been an issue in any of those places? Well, no, you can go, you can go to Mexico and buy whatever you want over the counter. So I don't know exactly, you know, say in Dominican, you can get whatever you want. So there's no testing and everything's legal there.
1: There are people that believe that the use of steroids emanated from the Latin American countries. Guys coming back from the winter bulked up and you know stronger. Uh, so there, but I, I have no idea about the rest of the world.
3: Is that it? <laughs> With that, we're gonna, that concludes our program. Thank you all so much for coming out this evening.